Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Justice Department is appointing a special counsel to oversee criminal investigations against former President Trump. What the White House is saying and how Trump's responding. Congressman Hakeem Jeffries is favored to succeed House Speaker Nancy Pelosi as the top House Democrat. We take a look at his background and what policies he stands for. Republicans are revealing their first targets for the investigation into the Biden White House, what they're looking for and how the White House reacts. The state of Massachusetts allegedly worked with Google to auto-install COVID spyware onto a million phones. The state is now being sued. A couple of formerly banned accounts are back on Twitter and more employees left this week. The departures left one analyst to question the stability of the platform amid the loss of staff. A special counsel will oversee criminal investigations of former President Trump. Attorney General Merrick Garland made the announcement today. NTD's Arlene Richards reports. Based on recent developments, including the former president's announcement that he is a candidate for president in the next election and the sitting president's stated intention to be a candidate as well, I have concluded that it is in the public interest to appoint a special counsel. Three days after former President Donald Trump launched the 2024 presidential bid, Attorney General Merrick Garland signed an order appointing federal prosecutor Jack Smith to oversee two criminal investigations of Trump. Smith will take over the investigation related to Trump's handling of presidential records and documents with classified markings. He will also examine whether there was obstruction of that investigation. FBI agents raided Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort in Florida in August and seized thousands of records, including around 100 marked classified. Trump has said he declassified the records and has fought to get the documents back. He has been unsuccessful so far, though he did convince authorities to return his seized passports. The special counsel will also take over a Washington-based investigation into the events after the 2020 presidential election, including the alleged interference in the transfer of power and the certification of the electoral votes on or around January 6. The order authorizes him to continue the ongoing investigation into both of the matters that I have just described and to prosecute any federal crimes that may arise from those investigations. Garland said Smith, who currently prosecutes war crimes at The Hague, will return to the U.S. immediately. At a White House press briefing on Friday, Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said President Biden wasn't aware Garland would be making the announcement, and he had no reaction. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. And Trump responded to the Justice Department's announcement shortly after, telling Fox News he won't partake in it. He also called it, quote, the worst politicization of justice in our country. He said, quote, I have been proven innocent for six years on everything I announce, and then they appoint a special prosecutor. This is a disgrace. And now to the race to succeed Nancy Pelosi. It's already begun. New York Congressman Hakeem Jeffries today officially announced his bid for House Democratic leader, and he's favored to win. Morning, it's great to see. New York Congressman Hakeem Jeffries on Friday said he will run for House Democratic leader. He said in a statement, quote, Our top non-governmental priority for the sake of the American people must be retaking the majority in November 2024. Everything that we've done is incredibly popular. 
and our frontliners ran on that policy agenda, and so did our candidates. Why shouldn't Joe Biden? He said he's going to make a decision over the next few months. I'm hopeful uh, that President Biden will seek re-election, and I look forward to strongly supporting him. Jeffries has been representing Brooklyn, New York in Congress since 2013. He has been the chair of the House Democratic Caucus since 2019, making him the fifth highest ranked Democrat currently in the House. Jeffries is also a member of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, the House Judiciary Committee, and the House Budget Committee. The congressman is known for his opposition to former President Trump. He was one of seven House managers during Trump's first impeachment. Democrats recognize that more needs to be done. And what is right at the top of the extreme MAGA Republican agenda in the House? Let's investigate President Joe Biden's family. That's what they want to do. Jeffries is heavily favored to win. He already has the backing of the top three House Democrats, Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Majority Leader Steny Hoyer, and Majority Whip Jim Clyburn. The three Congress members, who are all over 80 years old, said they are stepping down from leadership positions. If 52-year-old Jeffries were to succeed Pelosi, it would signal a generational shift within the Democratic Party. And it's a change that some Democrats are welcoming. I think she's a historic speaker. I think she's a historic speaker who's accomplished an incredible uh, amount. Um, but I also think there are a lot of Democrats ready for a new chapter. So, you know, we'll see what's coming. I believe that every member of the Congressional Black Caucus would vote for Hakeem Jeffries. The House Democratic leadership election will take place Wednesday, November 30th. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. And over in Colorado, the challenger to Republican Congresswoman Lauren Boebert has conceded the race. It was one of the closest House races in the midterm elections. Boebert was leading Democratic challenger Adam Frisch by just 551 votes as of today. Boebert said she was told there were less than 200 ballots remaining. Colorado law says a recount is automatically triggered if the final margin is less than or equal to 0.5 percent. But Boebert and Frisch agree a recount is unlikely to change the current result. Frisch called Boebert to concede, and Boebert declared victory today. This race in Colorado was one of the few that remained uncalled. The other races are in California and Alaska. And the House GOP makes their first request for White House testimony after seizing the majority. NTD's Iris Tao has more on their latest moves and the White House response. After seizing the majority, House GOP on Friday revealed their first targets of investigation from the White House. Congressman Jim Jordan and other Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee sent out a letter today demanding testimonies from White House officials. The subject is what they call misuse of federal counterterrorism resources to target concerned parents at school board meetings. The latest moves comes as House GOP has made clear that they'll also make it a priority to dig into President Biden's involvement in his son Hunter Biden's business affairs. And the White House today reacted to it this way. So look, I, you know, um, there's there's some a little bit of uh, interesting, uh, you know, kind of on-brand uh, thinking here. They get the majority and their top priority is actually not focusing on the American families, but focusing on the president's family. The press secretary added that the White House is handling these threats by the GOP. But even upon being pressed, the press secretary would not comment on the legitimacy of those allegations of Biden's involvement in Hunter's business dealings. Instead, she went on to criticize Republicans. Merits of any of these allegations? We, I've been we very clear. Them, I, I, I've been very clear. It's like, you know, 
Republicans said that they were going to, during, during the midterms, they were going to fight inflation, right? Meanwhile, Congressman Jim Comer, the House Republicans spearheading the investigation into the Biden family, told CNN that while he's prepared to subpoena Hunter Biden, he's not planning to issue one to President Joe Biden. Comer explained that trying to compel testimony from a sitting president is complicated, while noting the Republicans will take a different approach instead of sending out subpoenas like junk mail. Reporting from the White House, Iris Tao, NTD News. All GOP eyes will be on the Republican Jewish Coalition's annual meeting this weekend. The speaker lineup includes a who's who of potential 2024 presidential candidates. NTD's Arlene Richards reports. It is, it is a great pleasure to be back in Vegas. Prominent Republicans will attend the first major event since the midterm elections. Starting Friday evening, the Republican Jewish Coalition's annual leadership meeting kicks off in Las Vegas. Since 1985, the coalition has fostered a grassroots effort to have their issues addressed by Republican decision makers. A list of attendees who spoke at the 2021 meeting will return to show their support for Israel and other issues in the Jewish community. And under the Trump-Pence administration, if the world knew nothing else, the world knew this. America stands with Israel. But this year, some predict the speakers will talk about the 2024 presidential election. In a recent interview with the Associated Press, former Vice President Mike Pence said, quote, we'll give prayerful considerations to what our role might be in the days ahead, when asked what his plans were for the presidency. Nikki Haley, former ambassador to the UN under the Trump administration, is also expected to talk about a potential 2024 run. Recently, on the Today Show, she said this about running for president. There is a place for me. I've never lost a race. I'm not going to start now. We'll put a thousand percent in and we'll finish it. Media reports have speculated about whether Governor Ron DeSantis will announce his candidacy. Last year at the coalition's meeting, he touted his accomplishments as governor of Florida. Over the last year and a half in Florida, uh, we said very clearly, we don't lock people down, we lift people up. And so far, he's staying committed to his duties as governor. We just finished this election, okay? People just need to chill out a little bit on some of this stuff. Former President Trump will attend again by video. Trump declared his candidacy for the 2024 race on Tuesday. America's comeback starts right now. Some repeat attendees criticize Trump's announcement. He's really making an announcement at one of his weakest political points, right? Yeah, it's just too much drama, and they don't think he's right for the party. But others say Trump's announcement struck the right tone. Other expected guests include Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin, Senator Ted Cruz, and House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. And it's been another lively week for Twitter. Employees are leaving after its new CEO sent an email giving them the option to stay or leave. NTD's Jason Blair has more. Hundreds of Twitter employees are estimated to be leaving the social media company under the new owner, Elon Musk. Staffers say they were told to either sign up for long hours at high intensity or leave on Thursday. 
By Thursday evening, over two dozen Twitter employees across the United States and Europe announced their departures in public Twitter posts. Blue hearts and salute emojis flooded Twitter and its internal chat rooms on Thursday. Look, this is essentially Game of Thrones between Musk and the Twitter employees. Reuters reported that Musk emailed Twitter employees on Wednesday morning saying the company will, quote, need to be extremely hardcore to succeed in a competitive world. The email asked staff to click yes if they wanted to stick around. Those who did not respond by 5 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday would be considered to have quit and given a severance package. In addition, Twitter notified employees that it will close its offices and cut badge access until Monday. Security officers have reportedly begun kicking employees out of the office on Thursday evening. The departures include many engineers responsible for fixing bugs and preventing service outages. I've said this may raise questions about the stability of the platform amid the loss of employees. It's 240 million users. There's going to be bugs. There's going to be patches. We can see outages across the board. It's a skeleton staff right now left. And I think that's pretty scary, especially on the cybersecurity side. I mean, this could really become a free-for-all in terms of as it all plays out. And you know, I think that the thing with Twitter and Musk, the one thing you know that's almost guaranteed is that you will never be surprised. So you never know what's coming around the corner going into the weekend. According to website Down Detector, which tracks website and app outages, reports of Twitter outages rose sharply from less than 50 to nearly 2,000 around 7.30 p.m. on Thursday evening. In a tweet, Musk said, the best people are staying, so I'm not super worried. But as employees are leaving, some previously banned Twitter users are returning. On Friday morning, Musk tweeted that Kathy Griffin, Jordan Peterson, and Babylon B have been reinstated. Trump decision has not yet been made. Twitter, which has lost many of its communication team members, did not respond to NTD's request for comment by airtime. Jason Blair, NTD News, San Francisco. And Peterson and the Bee have already responded in tweets saying, I'm back. Thanks, Elon Musk, with a picture of Jack Nicholson from The Shining. The Bee saying, we're back. Let that sink in. A nod to Musk's earlier tweet carrying a sink into Twitter headquarters. Both the Bee and Peterson had been banned after tweets about transgender figures. Actor Elliot Page and Health and Human Services Assistant Secretary Rachel Levine, respectively, which sparked controversy. And in other Silicon Valley news, Elizabeth Holmes, founder of former blood testing company Theranos, was sentenced to over 11 years in prison today. The former Silicon Valley star was convicted of defrauding investors over her health technology company. The sentence comes after multiple delays in the case due to the pandemic and pregnancy. Prosecutors had sought a 15-year prison sentence, while Holmes' defense attorneys had asked for 18 months of house arrest. And in Southern California, more than two dozen law enforcement recruits were hit by an SUV driver on Wednesday morning. The man responsible was arrested, but later released on Thursday night. NTD's Jackie Rios has the latest updates on this story. 22-year-old Nicolas Joseph Gutierrez was detained as a result of a car crash that injured 25 Los Angeles County Sheriff recruits during a morning run on a Wednesday. The Sheriff's Department now say they believe Gutierrez may have intentionally swerved into the group while driving in the opposite direction. Sheriff Alex Villanueva told News Nations that investigators went through an exhausting interview process with everyone involved with the video surveillance statements from the recruits, the physical evidence they had, and what they got from the suspect himself. And they were able to form the opinion that this was a deliberate act. 
The investigation is still ongoing, but according to jail records, Gutierrez was released from custody on Thursday evening. He has been charged with suspicion of attempted murder of a peace officer. During a Wednesday news conference, Villanueva said there were no skid marks at the scene and Gutierrez remained in the vehicle after the crash. Authorities say the driver was not intoxicated, but marijuana was recovered in the vehicle. Villanueva said all 25 recruits were injured. Five had critical injuries, which included head trauma, broken bones, and the loss of limbs. Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department have set up a relief foundation and is accepting donations on behalf of Recruit Class 464 at the LASD Academy. Families can make checks payable to Sheriff's Relief Foundation Memo Class 464 recruits and can be mailed to Sheriff's Relief Association at 11515 Colima Road, Building B, Whittier, California, 90604. That's tragic. Was COVID spyware installed on your phone without you knowing? A lawsuit accuses the state of Massachusetts of working with Google to install a surveillance app on users' phones. NTD's Don Ma has more on that. The Massachusetts Department of Public Health is facing a class action lawsuit. It was filed by the New Civil Liberties Alliance, or NCLA. It alleges that the department works with Google to install a COVID surveillance app onto Android phones. The app is called COVID Exposure Settings, which is a COVID-19 contact tracing software. It was allegedly automatically installed onto the phones of some 1 million Android users without their consent. Once installed, the app didn't appear on the device's home screen, as newly installed apps typically do. Instead, it could only be found in the phone's Settings app. This meant that many device users were unaware of its presence. So, what does the app do? We spoke with the lead attorney of the lawsuit, Shang Li. What the app is supposed to do is, what, what, it, what it does is turns on your, your, um, your Bluetooth so that when you're walking around, your Bluetooth is sending out signals all the time. And it's interacting with other Bluetooths, uh, whether it's other people's phones, and creates a record of those interactions so that you can say, at 2 p.m., this particular phone was within 10 feet of this other particular phone. And, and what's supposed to happen is then if you, if you do report getting COVID, you can say, I got COVID, and, it'll, and then the, the app will look through your records and say, ah, you were within 10 feet of these 100 people in the last week. But the problem is that the same record that allows this exposure notification to be sent out is also a record of everyone that you've been in close contact with and a record of everywhere you've been. And this record could be accessed, for example, by the Massachusetts Department of Public Health, Google application developers, device manufacturers, network providers, and other third parties. The lawsuit says that, quote, in sum, the Department of Health installed spyware that deliberately tracks and records movement and personal contacts onto over a million mobile devices without their owner's permission and awareness. When they turn their Bluetooth off, the app triggers and, and turns their Bluetooth on. Uh, even when they delete it, it, uh, it comes back 
on their phone. Uh, one woman, uh, we, using a pseudonym, complained that even though she had you know, a, a software on her child's phone, her daughter's phone, that blocks the child from downloading unwanted apps, she still found the device, you know, the, the app on her child's phone. The lawsuit says that the app was made available in April 2021, but few Massachusetts residents voluntarily installed it. To increase adoption, the department worked with Google to secretly install the contact tracing app. Don Mott, NTD News. And coming up, the Chinese regime uses legal immigration policies to infiltrate U.S. institutions. Senators this week shining a light on the issue. And in soccer news, the World Cup starts in less than 48 hours, but is the U.S. team ready to compete? NTD's Dave Martin has the preview. That and more coming up. Illegal immigration continues to be top of mind lately, but some are drawing attention to the U.S.'s legal immigration policies. Lawmakers spotlight how the Chinese Communist Party is taking advantage to exert their influence on America. NTD's Melina Weiskup has the details. Chinese subversion in the spotlight on Capitol Hill this week. FBI Director Christopher Wray telling lawmakers the popular Chinese-owned social media app TikTok is a national security concern. The Chinese government could use it to control data collection on millions of users or control the recommendation algorithm, uh, which could be used for influence operations if they so chose, or uh, to control software on millions of devices. TikTok has an office in California, and the DHS has approved nearly 600 H-1B visas for foreign individuals to work there. 300 TikTok and ByteDance employees are also current or former employees of Chinese state media. You should delete it from your device. Um, and even better, you should probably go out and buy a new device <laughs> and not download TikTok on it. Wow, it's that serious. That would be my advice. But there is this nexus between China and our legal immigration system that China uses to exploit um, America's prosperity and put at risk our security. Today, Senator Marco Rubio introduced a bill to ban the issuance of B-1 and B-2 non-immigrant visas to 93 million CCP members. Senator Cotton points to the fact that the CCP further takes advantage of our immigration law to send Chinese nationals to U.S. universities to train in research fields. Uh, it just makes no sense to be training China's next generation of cutting edge engineers or computer programmers or weapons developers at our own universities. Cotton explains that even if Chinese workers and students on visas don't intend to engage in espionage, they could be bullied into doing so by the CCP. And this is even more of a concern now that the CCP is operating a secret police station in New York City, a topic that took center stage in Thursday's Senate hearing. And we've had now a number of indictments that you may have seen of the Chinese engaging in uncoordinated law quote-unquote law enforcement action right here in the United States, harassing, stalking, surveilling, blackmailing uh, people who they just don't like or who disagree with the, the Xi regime. 
Ray went on to say that the Chinese government has hired private investigators in the United States, and there have even been situations where electronic listening devices have been planted in Americans' cars. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. The World Cup starts in less than 48 hours as the host team Qatar takes on Ecuador to kick things off. Now, if you're like most Americans, soccer and the World Cup take a back seat to baseball, basketball, and of course, American football. But this time around, the U.S. team qualified and is a young team with a good future. The U.S. has a new generation of exciting players that could soon make some noise, and it starts with superstar Christian Pulisic. It's not hyperbolic to say that he'll be the best American of all time when all is said and done. I wouldn't go and say, call it a golden generation like Belgium has or England had recently because they're not of age yet, but this is kind of the start for them. Paul Banks is the author of Transatlantic Passage, a book about how the English Premier League became popular in America. He says that the U.S. team typically does well in the World Cup when they qualify. He notes especially their 2014 run spearheaded by goalie Tim Howard's record-breaking 16-save performance in a heartbreaking 2-1 loss. He was nicknamed the Secretary of Defense and then the actual Secretary of Defense in Washington called him. I mean, he, he had one of the best goalkeeping performances we've ever seen. The tournament starts with the four-team group stage with eight groups in all. Each of the four teams plays the rest of their teams in their group with the top two teams advancing to the knockout round, where it's simply winners advance all the way to the finals. The groups are drawn at random, which can make for some entertaining matchups. Every World Cup or every tournament, there's always the group of death, and there's always jokes about, you know, who's in it and why. Um, I would probably think um, Germany's group. Um, Germany is always, uh, they won it in 2014. Um, that's a really tough grouping. Ultimately, Banks sees this as being decided by the power teams in two continents. And really, it kind of comes down to uh, Europe versus South America. Traditionally, yeah, the European powers, and then it's the South American powers. Right now, Europe definitely has the advantage. Europe's won the last few. However, the hands-down favorite at this World Cup is Brazil. While the tournament starts Sunday, the U.S. plays their first game Monday against Wales. And for your sports viewing tonight, 11 NBA games are on the schedule, including two-time reigning MVP Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets taking on all-NBA star Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks. And in the NHL, just one game is on tap for this evening as the Vancouver Canucks host the LA Kings. And finally, for you college basketball fans, 11 ranked teams are in action, featuring the foursome in the main event doubleheader in Las Vegas as Virginia faces Baylor and UCLA takes on Illinois. And that's a wrap for sports. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.